Uh, so uh, you would think I would learn by now that um, to be very careful about the topics I choose. Because um, you've heard the old adage, don't ever pray for patience, because God will teach you patience. Don't ever teach on sanctification, because God will sanctify you. Uh, and so, so this week has been a real fun week. Um, Tuesday, I get up to uh, drive to um, the West Campus. Uh, this was actually uh, Tuesday at 5, so this is the second time to teach out there. So I leave here, get in my car, and my AC stops right as I get on the freeway, and it's stop-and-go traffic. So for 45 minutes, in the heat of the day, I have no AC, and I'm not happy. I'm, I'm just not a happy camper. I'm pouring sweat. I'm, you know, why is this happening? I can't believe this is happening. How much is going to cost me? And so by the time I get out there, I'm drenched. I mean, and I walk in and the first guy who sees me goes, what, do you not have AC? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, no, I don't. Um, So I teach on sanctification. I get in my car, I drive home. Fortunately, the sun's gone down. It's nine o'clock. Um, I have all the windows down in my car. I can't hear anything. I'm, you know, my hair's blowing all over the place. I get home. I'm exhausted. I walk in the house. I go into the bedroom. My wife's in bed. The lights are out, and she goes, did you get my text? I don't know of any occasion where that's probably good news. <laughs> this was not one. I said, no, honey, I didn't get your text. I said, what, what's wrong? She goes, did you see the ceiling in the den? I said, no, should I? And she goes, well, yeah, you might want to go look at it. So I go in the den and there's a big stain. So I go up in the attic and our AC is leaking in the attic. And it's working, it's just leaking. So yesterday, um, I got a bill for about $900 to fix my car and one for over $10,000 to fix my, to put in a new AC unit. Yeah, I'm going to take up a collection, yeah. Um, I know how much I'll get from this group. Uh, yeah. So, what's interesting is all that that has to do with sanctification, because the thing about sanctification is how God uses the affairs of life to teach us about holiness. And I'll be real honest that I haven't responded to most of this with much holiness. You know, I haven't responded with it with glee, with joy, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But it was interesting that yesterday was better for me than earlier in the day. And I think God was just kind of teaching me that, you know, are you going to trust me or are you going to get mad at me? Are you going to rest in me or are you going to rail at me? And that's really what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Now, I'm safe because this is the fourth time to teach it, and I feel like he's already gotten me. You're not safe, all right? Your time's coming. Because God really does want you to hear what he has to say through this lesson this morning. And it's really important that we hear it, and not only hear it, but that we take it in and we apply it to our lives. Because at the end of the day, what this is all about is God. It ain't about you. It's about him. 
So as we dig into it this morning, I would just want to remind you about Adam. We're not going to talk about Adam anymore. I know you're sick of Adam, but Adam was a sinner or a saint who became a sinner. You're a sinner who's been made into a saint. See, God fixed what Adam screwed up by sending his son to take on human flesh, become the second Adam and the final Adam. And because of him, we are now saints. You may not feel like one, look like one, act like one. I guarantee I didn't act like one a big part of yesterday because things weren't going the way I wanted them to go. I was having to spend money on something. You know, the last thing I want to do is go buy an air conditioner. You know, that's like buying a mattress. Who wants to go buy a mattress? Nobody. No guy that I know, you know, if I could go buy a gun, I'm all over that. But I don't want to buy a mattress, and I most certainly didn't want to buy an AC unit for my house. But I did. So you're a saint. I'm a saint. We've been made a saint. We've been transferred from being a sinner, alienated from God, at enmity with God, apart from God, and now we're a saint. But what is that? We talked about this week one. It comes from the word hagios, where we also get the word hagiosmos, which is sanctification, holiness. You're a saint. You're holy, consecrated, set apart by God. You belong to him. You are his property. You don't belong to you. You belong to him. And I love what Theris Greek lexicon says. It means set apart for God to be, as it were, exclusively his. And that's really hard for us to grasp, that I do not belong to me. Um, everything about me belongs to me as far as I'm concerned, except the money that now doesn't belong to me, that now belongs to the AC company, which is what makes me mad. I'm having to give up what I think is mine, but it wasn't mine to begin with. Everything about me because of salvation belongs to who? It belongs to God. We're exclusively his. It goes on and says, just as the Israelites claim for themselves the title of saint, because God selected them from the other nations to lead a life acceptable to him and to rejoice in his favor and protection, which they did not do. So this appellation, this designation is very often in the New Testament referred, transferred to Christians as those whom God has selected out of this world. You have been selected out of this world. Wait, Ken, I woke up in this world. I live in this world. I work in this world. I have to deal with this world. I had to deal with this world. Broken air conditioners, having to get a car fixed, you know, just the inconvenience, all the things that go along with it. You know, when I took my car into the shop to get it fixed, I leave it with a guy and he says, we'll run a diagnostic and I'll call you with the price. Great. So I had to get back from his place to here. So I called Chase, who works with me, and I said, Chase, could you pick me up? Chase comes to pick me up. And I go out and I get in the car and I'm hot and I'm, I'm not real happy. And, I'm, and I said, turn on the AC. It doesn't work. It's <laughs> like, so, curse you. And it didn't. So we drive from there back to the church with no AC. Um, it doesn't pay to work for me either. You know, it's, it, it kind of, it's catching. So you've been pulled out of this world Here's what Jesus Christ prayed on the night he was betrayed. Now, think about this. If you knew you were going to die today, what would you pray? Well, here's what Jesus prayed. He says to God the Father, I have given them, my disciples, my followers, your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world. He hadn't even died yet. 
He hasn't resurrected yet, but he says of his disciples, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't ask you that you take them out of the world. I wish he had, and I wish God had done that, but he left us here, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What's his point? They are not of the world. You are not of this world. No matter how much you live in this world, have to walk around in this world, deal with this world, you are not of this world. You don't belong here anymore. You're an alien. You're a stranger. You're a sojourner. You have another home that you're waiting to go to. So we pass through this land with open hands. We don't grasp onto things, hold onto things. This place is not where we belong. And the older I get and the more I do grow in my salvation, I realize that I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. I still kind of like it. I still kind of love it, but I don't belong here. I have been chosen out of this world. He goes on and he says this to his disciples earlier before he even gets to the garden. He tells them, if the world hates you, and it does, is his inference, know that it has hated me before it hated you. See, the disciples were still having a hard time understanding that the world hates them. And they were still thinking his kingdom was going to be of this world, not that world. That's why they said, hey, when you get into your kingdom, can I sit on your right and can my brother sit on your left? And Jesus goes, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you're asking. So they get their mother involved. And and she, she tries to get this done for them. But he says, know that the world has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world and you're not is the inference. The world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This world hates you. And if you live in this world thinking this world loves you, you're deceived and you're delusional. Now the world will suck up to you. The world will will offer you all kinds of wonderful things in order to draw you away from your real priority, but the world does not love you. And the world will turn in you in a heartbeat. And we got to get that through our heads, that that what the world offers you is is a lie. I've told you a thousand times that when I was in advertising, my job was to get you to buy things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't even like. That's the role of advertising. Think about it. You need this car. You already have a car. Yeah, but you need this car. You need these clothes because if you wear these clothes, you'll be more popular than the clothes you're wearing. You need this house. You need this. You need this. You need this because it's all based on discontentment. And we're not of this world. I shouldn't be attracted to the things of this world because I don't live in this world. Because as we talked about last week, I'm spiritual, not natural anymore. And again, I know you wake up and you see something natural in in the mirror but you are spiritual, not natural. You're not of Adam anymore. You're not of the man of dust, as we saw last week. You carry the image of Jesus Christ. And again, that's what sanctification is all about. You bear his image. You are to model him. You're to mirror him. And if you did the homework from this last week, and I know both of you did, um, You were in Colossians chapter 3, and in Colossians chapter 3, it talks about put on this, put on this, put on this, put on this. Compassion, kindness, gentleness. It tells you to do all this stuff, put on this stuff. And what we do with sanctification is we think, okay, give me the list of stuff I got to do, and I'll go do it, and that'll make me holy. But there's far more to it than that. And I want to just read you this one little verse to support that. 
This is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. So not only am I to imitate Christ, I'm to imitate God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So you and I have been called to imitate Christ and imitate God. In other words, bear the image of God the Father and God the Son as we walk on this earth. What was Adam's job? He was made in the image of God. He was to bear the image of God, but he failed at that task. And ever since then, men have been finding it very, very difficult to bear the image of God unless they've placed their faith in the Son of God. And because of that, we now can. See, Paul told the Romans that God has foreknown and predestined you, me, to be conformed to the image of his Son. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to be conformed to his image? Well, the word in the Greek just simply means to have the same form as another. To have the same form as another. Now, does anybody in this room know what Jesus looked like? Well, I know you've seen the movies. You, you've seen the paintings. He's always blonde-haired and blue-eyed and looks like he's from Scandinavia. Um, no one knows what Jesus looked like. All we know is the scriptures say he was not comely in appearance. He wasn't a good-looking guy. Matter of fact, if you passed him on the street, you would probably ignore him and think nothing about him. He was not impressive. I think Adam came out, you know, when God made Adam and breathed life into him, he had six-pack abs and 0% body fat. You know, he was perfect. A full head of hair, not a blemish on the guy. Jesus was not that. Jesus was not someone you looked at and went, wow. So when it says that we have the same form as him, it doesn't mean we look like him in that sense. It's much deeper than that. It says that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. What does that mean? That means he revealed God. He took on human flesh. He lived on this earth. Everywhere he walked, everything he said, everything he did revealed the invisible God. And all they saw was what? A man. You know, the, the Jewish people looked at him. They saw a rabbi. They saw a guy from Nazareth. Nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. They saw um, a teacher who seemed to teach really, really well. The Pharisees saw a heretic. They saw a pain in the neck. They saw somebody they needed to get rid of. They saw somebody who was probably illegitimately born. They saw somebody who was blasphemous because he claimed to be God. So everybody saw Jesus, but what Paul is saying is that he revealed God. Now, does that mean when everybody looked at Jesus, they went, there's God? No. They saw teachers, they saw a healer, they saw a Jew, they saw a rabbi, they saw a heretic, they saw a pain in the neck, they, they saw different things. But from God's perspective, Jesus was always revealing his father. Everybody who looks at you, I guarantee, does not see Christ in you. And yet, from God's perspective, what does he see? Well, he definitely sees God in you, and he expects you to bear that image everywhere you go. Doesn't mean it's always going to be accepted. Doesn't mean everybody's going to like it. Just like not everybody liked Jesus when they saw him or heard him. Paul goes on and tells the Corinthians, the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, so they would not see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. 
He wasn't just the shadow of God, as we said last week. He was the exact image of God, but in human form. So as a man, everywhere he went, he bore the image of his father. He revealed God. So we are to be conformed into that same image. But there's far more to it than just activity or actions. And when we think about sanctification, it's almost always about stuff that you do. You remember years ago, there was that bracelet that came out, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I never liked it because it, it, it really was a recipe for legalism. And I, I get the intent behind it, but we, we look at that, okay, what would Jesus do? Well, I'm going to do what Jesus would do. Um, but what, what you have to ask is, why did Jesus do anything that he did? What's the motivation behind the action? See, we're action people. Just tell me what, what I'm supposed to do. Give me five steps to a better Christian life and I'll do them for about a week. Then I'll be down to four and then eventually I'll get down to one and then I'll give up altogether. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. But why do you do what you do? What's the motivation? See, you have been predestined by God, according to Colossians, you've been predestined by God for what? To be born or to bear the image of his son, to be conformed. And that word has continual action built into it over and over again, continually being conformed to, into his image. It's not a one-time deal. And if the son is the exact image of the father, guess what? So should you be. So should I be. Which begs the question, on Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock when I was sitting in traffic pouring sweat, was I bearing the image of my father? And beyond that was I glorifying my father by my thoughts, my actions, my speech, my attitude. And I have to honestly say, no, I wasn't. I'll give you another example. Saturday, this last Saturday, um, you know, I don't plan anything for Saturday. I get up on Saturday. Saturday is my free day to do whatever I want to do. Do nothing, do a lot. It's up to me. And I got up and I'm sitting at the kitchen table. My wife walks in and she says, what do you have planned for today? I've been married 40 years. I know what that means. <laughs> Whatever you do have planned today, put it aside. Because I have plans for you today. And I said, honey, I don't, I don't really have a plan. Good, I need, some, need you to do something. And as soon as she said it, I got resentful. Now, I love my wife. But I, I sometimes don't like to be told what to do. I don't ever like to be told what to do. And so I said, oh, what, 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 do you, what do you need? She goes, well, I have these boxes, these crates that I need the back cut out of them and I need you to build shelves into them and I'm going to use them for a display that I'm working on. And, I'm, uh, and everything in me was shutting down at this point. I was like, there's nothing about that that I want to do, feel led to do, feel called to do. I, I don't want to do this. Of course, those, I was smart enough to keep those thoughts in my head. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to mow the yard. I'm going to do, I, I won't do them right now, but I'll do them later. She goes, I, as long as they're done today. <sighs> okay, okay. So I mowed the yard and then I went out in my wood shop and I took them out there and I'm just, I'm muttering under my breath. I'm angry. I don't want to do this. It's hot. I, you know, everything about me is resentful. And then I walk outside and I look and my wife's in my yard. Remember I told you last yard, I take real pride in my yard. And I look out in my yard, and there's my wife with a weed whip in my yard. That's a bad combination, because my wife and a weed whip are, like, devastating. That's how God's going to destroy the world. 
He's going to call my wife, get your weed whip. Let's get to bu- Let's get busy. My wife has, she just, she loves to cut stuff down. Even if it's living, you know, it's just, she's out there just weed whipping. I'd walk through the yard and I'd just go, God, I can't believe I planted that. Why is she cutting that down? She's trimming stuff. And it's, it's like a wave of just destruction. And I'm getting angry about that. I'm angry about the boxes. I'm, I'm just angry. And so at the end of the day, I'm standing in the kitchen. My wife walks in and she goes, are you okay? What should I have said? Honey, I'm great. But I'm not the brightest bulb in the box. So I said, no, I'm not. What's wrong? And I went through my list of all the stuff she cut down that I planted and how she ruined my yard and how she did this and how she did that. And she goes, here's the amazing thing. Suddenly it became all about me. Why are you upset with me? Why, why is your yard that important to you? Or am I not important to you? And suddenly I'm like apologizing. I'm like, wait a minute. She was at fault. The whole day she's been at fault. How am I at fault? And suddenly it's like God took a brick and he threw it at my forehead. And he said, what have you been teaching on now for four weeks? What have you been studying for six months? Sanctification. What are you going to be teaching on this week? Your glory. Whose glory have you been worried about all day long? Mine. And I hated it. Now, this is all going through my head as my wife standing there telling me how guilty I am. And I finally said, honey, I am, I am so sorry because I've made this day about me when it should have been about him. Not her, him. And I was robbing God of glory by making it all about me. And that's what we do. We can take sanctification and make it all about us. How holy I am, how righteous I am, how good I am. You know, I had a great quiet time today. And here's the reality about sanctification and holiness and godliness. I can find a loser anywhere. I can always find somebody who sucks at spirituality and compare myself to him and go, well, at least I'm not him. And then I feel good about myself. And then I run into the super saint, the guy who's got his spiritual act together. And I look at him and go, oh man, that's the new standard. See, sanctification is not about you glorifying you, glorifying some other guy, trying to be like him, trying to diminish him. It's about the glory of God. And we lose sight of that. We forget that because we have been given the ability and the responsibility to bear the image of God in this world. Now, why would that be? So we get glory? No, so that he gets glory. Did God need Adam? No. But he made Adam so that Adam would bring him glory. That's why he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Now it's very good. And when we come to faith in Christ, we are restored to the relationship with God the Father so that we can now bear the image of the Father the way we were meant to do. And it brings him glory every time we do. So when you think about sanctification... Think about God, not think about you. Think about his glory, not your own glory. See, this isn't about you resembling God in some form or fashion. It's not about you being the peak of his creative order, and now that he's made you, the world's a wonderful place. It's also not about the fact that you've been set apart. Even though that's what sanctification means, and I've told you for three weeks now that you have been set apart, You are set apart, but your set apartness is not what makes you special. 
Because guess what? The Israelites were set apart, but they never lived set apart. You can be set apart by God, for God, for his glory, and never bring him glory. So don't get hung up on being set apart. Live like you're set apart. Live like who you're supposed to be and bring him glory. It's all about God and his glory, not yours. How, how long you spend in the Bible, how much time you spent in the Bible this morning is not that important. It's did you do it with the goal of bringing him glory? The fact that you're here is wonderful, except if you're here to impress somebody else or you're here for any other reason than to bring glory to God, you're here for the wrong reason. We're here for the glory of God. That's why we exist. That's why we were left on this earth. That's why we didn't get taken. So Jesus says at the opening of the prayer in John chapter 17, he says, Father, the hour has come. I'm about to die. I'm about to finish what you sent me to do. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, same thing said of Adam. Adam was to have dominion. He was to subdue, but he blew it. Jesus goes on, and to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. And this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the essence of eternal life. Eternal life is not heaven. I grew up hearing from my dad and others that eternal life guarantees you heaven. And as a kid, I wasn't that sold because their descriptions of heaven were kind of lame. I don't know if I want to spend eternity there doing whatever it is you're describing. But see, what he says is that eternal life is not a destination. It's a relationship. It's, it's God, knowing God, being restored to a right relationship with God and Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what heaven is all about. And so he says, I, Jesus, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you sent me to do. Now think about that for a second. How did Jesus glorify the Father? Through, through miracles? Yeah. Through teaching? Yeah. But really through just doing the will of his father, which included, according to Philippians chapter 2, death on the cross. That was part of the equation. He could have healed. He could have done miracles. He could have done all the teaching he wanted to do. But if he had failed to go to the cross, he would not have accomplished the will of his father and therefore never glorified God the father. See, he glorified God on the earth. Your sanctification, my sanctification is for God's glory, not yours. And when we make it about us, we rob God of glory. See, Jesus brought glory to God, not to himself. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He never sought glory for himself. We do. We thrive on glory. You know, if I finish this lesson and somebody walks up to me and says, man, that's the best lesson I've ever heard, I will accept that. If one of you comes up and says, that's the worst lesson I've ever heard, I will accept that. I prefer the former to the latter. But see, it's not about my glory. If I get up here and I teach according to what God has told me to teach and I'm being obedient to God and every one of you walk out of the room angry, I have to be okay with that because I'm doing it for God's glory, not my glory. And that's really hard, right? Because our flesh gets involved. But Jesus Christ brought glory to God, not himself. Listen to this. He says in John 5, he says, I do not accept glory from men. I don't even seek it and I don't accept it. I don't need your glory, Jesus says. I know where my glory comes from. He goes, I don't even seek my own glory. 
Here's the Son of God who took on human flesh and he never sought glory for himself. He says, he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. Why are you on this planet? To bring God glory. How do you bring him glory? By doing his will. See, Jesus said, I glorified you on the earth, on this planet as he walked, he lived, he breathed, he talked, he, he wept, he cried. He, you know, he, he lived life as a man on this earth. And that's why he's able to say in John chapter 17, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had before the world existed. He says, when I'm done here, when I die and am buried, would you resurrect me and take me back to be with you and glorify me? Guess what? That's what's going to happen with every one of us. No matter what happens on this earth, there's a day when you will be glorified. You will be with the Father. You will be placed in a relationship with him that's unbroken and perfect. And Jesus goes on and says, I have manifested your name. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. And that world manifested means he made known what was once unknown and invisible. But here's what's really interesting. What does he say? He says, I have manifested your name. I've made you known. How? How did he do that? He's already the visible image of the invisible God. Was that not enough? The fact that he walked the planet, the fact that he was God incarnate, was that not enough? He's the revelation of God on this earth. Was that not enough? No, he says, I've manifested you. I've manifested your name. How did he reveal God? By manifesting the name of God, by making God's name known. Now, what does that even mean? Because if Jesus did it, and I'm to emulate Jesus and to imitate Jesus, then I should be doing this. What does it mean? See, God's name is synonymous with his reputation. Your name is probably not that important to you, your literal name. I don't even know what my name means. You know, we have six kids, didn't name a one of them. We'd sit down to talk about what do you want to name them? I'd give out eight, nine names, and my wife would go, don't like that, don't like that. I dated a guy named that. I don't, you know. So all my kids were named by my wife, which is fine, because names aren't that important to me. I don't know what my kids' names mean. I can't even remember their birthdays. But guess what? God's name is real important to God. It's real important because it's synonymous with who he is. It represents his character. And so we're not to take it lightly because God is what? He's holy. Everything about God is holy. Same word used of you and I. We're holy, set apart. So is God. He is completely holy. There's nobody like God. There is no other God. He has no competition. He has no competitor. Thomas Watson, the great uh, Puritan writer, says this, holiness is the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. It's the name by which he's known. So when Jesus says, I have manifested your name, what's he saying? I have made God's name known. He whose name is holy, I've made his name known. Now, again, we got to wrestle with what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that apply to you and me? How does that reveal God as you and I live our lives on this earth? You bear his name. See, how did Jesus reveal God? He says, I revealed you, I made known to them your name, your character, your reputation by the way I live my life, by being obedient, by doing your will. And he says, I'm going to continue to make it known. 
even to the point of death, even on the cross, he was making the godliness, the holiness of God known to everybody who looked on him. That's why the centurion says, surely this must be the son of God. By the way, he handled himself. He didn't rail at the Romans. He didn't lash out. He, he took what was coming because he knew it was the will of God. And when he did that, he was revealing the holiness of God. He brought glory to God. See, guys, when, when I get upset about the air conditioner in my car, or the, the heat, because I don't have an air conditioner in my car that works, or I get upset at how much it's going to cost me to put a new AC in my house, I am not bringing glory to God. I am doing just the opposite. And it's so easy for us to do. See, Jesus brought glory to God by what? By doing the will of God. By doing what God put him on the planet to do, by being obedient, living for God's glory and not his own, by reflecting the character of God in everything that he did, even on the cross. I'm telling you, if I was the one hanging on the cross, I would not be bringing God glory. I'd be cursing everybody standing out in front of me. I'd be angry. I'd be upset. I'd be, I'd be railing at God. I think, because I know myself. But what did he do? He reflected the character of God even on the cross, and he honored the name of God in everything that he did, everything that he did. See, that's what you and I have been called to. It's not just doing a bunch of stuff. It's why do you do it? Why do you come to Bible study? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you give? Why do you do what you do? Why do you love your wife? Why do you go out into your workshop and work on something you don't want to work, for, work on because your wife asked you to, to bring glory to God? See, if, if, I, if I did that, if I, if I took those things out there and I worked on them and I hated doing it and I resented doing it, but I did it so I could have sex later, that's motivation. It's the wrong motivation. Not that sex is wrong. It's that I'm do, I should be doing it for God's glory. I should be doing it for his glory and not my own. So again, what does all this have to do with sanctification? Everything, because you've been set apart for a purpose. You exist to bring God glory. Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what's the chief end? What's the purpose of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God. That's why you exist. God left you here. He redeemed you. He set you apart. He saved you. He sent his son to die for you. He's totally sanctified you, set you apart. You're righteous in his eyes, but he left you here. Why? So that you might bring him glory here. Heaven's a piece of cake. It'll be easy in heaven to bring him glory. Everything will bring him glory in heaven. It's here that it's a little hard to pull off because we have a sin nature and we live in a world that hates us, but we are here to bring him glory. The fall left man incapable of doing it and Jesus fixed it. But even the Israelites, let's think about them for just a second. They were set apart by God, but they failed to honor his name. So here's what Jesus had to say about them. Ezekiel 36, I'm gonna vindicate the holiness of my name my great name. Why? Because you've profaned it among the nations, which you have profaned among them. You have profaned my holy name among the nations. They had been set apart to bring God glory and they hadn't. Well, let's fast forward. Paul has a similar indictment against the Jews of his day. He says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now that won him a lot of friends. But he's telling them, guys, you, you claim to be Jews, set apart by God, chosen people of God, apple of his eye, royal priesthood, holy nation, and guess what? You blaspheme God among the Gentiles. And those two words are important. Profane means to defile, pollute, or desecrate the name, the holiness of God by the way you live. 
Blaspheming is more spoken. It's the things you say, the words that come out of your mouth, to revile, to defame, and speak evil of God. Well, Ken, I don't do that. Yes, you do. I do. When bad things happen in my life, I tend to shake my proverbial fist in the face of God and go, why are you doing this to me? I don't deserve this. I don't need this right now. Don't you realize, God, we just, we just finished paying for a wedding and I don't have the money to spend on this? Don't you realize that, and I go through my list of all the things that he's done to me that I find are unfair, that is blasphemy. That is degrading, demeaning, diminishing the holiness of God by my actions, my speech, my thoughts. But the name of God is holy, and we bear that name. Everywhere I go, in every situation, in every circumstance, I bear that name, and I live on this planet to bring glory to that name. And I know that's a high task, and that's overwhelming for every guy in the room, but that's why you're here. That's why you exist. And I can do it because I have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. See, I can do this. I can pull it off. I'm not Adam 1.0. I'm Adam 2.0. I'm of the man of heaven, not the man of dust. And we, we know from Corinthians, Paul says, you were bought with a high price. What was the price? The death of his son, the blood, the body of his son. So you must honor God with your body. Honor him with your body, everything that you do, everywhere that you go, everything that you say. He goes on and says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, and in the Greek that means whatever you do, it's all inclusive. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you're driving in the car with no AC in the heat of the day, do it for the glory of God. If you get a phone call and you get the bill for how much it's going to cost to fix your AC at your house, do it all for the glory of God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And I don't mean that to be trite. I mean to say that, you know what, God, I don't particularly like this, but I'm going to glorify you in it. That we even live in a country where I can have AC, that I have a job where I can pay for something, even though I don't particularly want to pay for it, that I do have the capacity, that you do bless me in so many ways, and I'm going to accept this from you, and I'm going to glorify you in it. That's what we're called to do. Not complain, not shake our fist in God's face, but bring glory to God. I love this. Do you have the gift of speaking? I think I do. Many of you may think, well, you're delusional, but... I think I do. Well, if I do, he says, then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do it for his glory, not your own. Do you have the gift of helping others? I don't, thank the Lord. So don't come to me if you need help. But some of you do have that gift. Guess what? If you do, do it all with the strength and energy God supplies, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. What's the motivation for the glory of God? Bring glory to God. Conduct yourselves with such honor among the Gentiles that though they slander you as evildoers, in other words, attack you and accuse you of wrongdoing when you didn't do wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds, glorify God on the day that he visits. And at the end of time, when God sends his son back to get us, his children, there will be people who come to faith because of the way we lived our lives, that we brought glory to God. It's what happened to the thief on the cross, right? He watched Jesus hanging next to him. He saw him and how he reacted, and he says, I want to be with you in paradise. I want a relationship with you. See, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. That really means don't bring shame to yourself by the way you act. If you suffer, glorify God that you bear that name. 
Take it well. Accept it as an opportunity to bring glory to God. So what's my chief end? To bring God glory. That's why he saved me. His name has a terrible reputation on this earth, mainly because of us, by the way we live, by the things we say, yet we've been restored with the ability to bring glory to his name as his creation. See, God sent his son as a source of salvation. He's now made it possible for me to bear his name and his character in all that I do everywhere I go. That's why it will close with this. If you have been raised with Christ, and if you're in Christ, you have been, seek the things that are above. What does that mean? Put your eye on eternal things, not earthly things. You're not of this earth anymore. You're not natural. You're spiritual. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The AC in my house is not important at the end of the day. Yes, I like to be cool. But there are a lot of people living in a lot of places who don't even have water to drink. And I'm worried about the temperature in my house. There are people in the Bahamas who have nothing. They've lost it all. And I'm worried about the temperature in my house or how much it's going to cost me to fix the AC in my house. I need to set my mind on things above. That's why it says in Colossians, and you studied that this week, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. Look at the list. He tells us, compassionate hearts are to be put on. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. Put on these things. And if you're like me, what you do is you look at that list and you go, okay, this is what I got to work on. This week, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to have peace this week. How's that working for you? See, without the proper motivation, this list will fail you every time. It's not what would Jesus do. It's why would Jesus even do it? These are all the fruit of the Spirit. It's produced by him, not by you. So I'm going to put on Christ. I'm to bear his name. I'm to bear his character. I'm to reflect his nature. I'm to reveal the glory of God through my life and all that I do and do it for the Lord and not for men, for his glory, not for mine, not to impress you and not even to impress God, but to impress others with the glory of God, how great my God is. You're set apart because you're significant. Your sanctification reflects on God, not you. Your saintliness is a privilege, not a right. It's not a point of pride. It's all made possible by him, and God's glory is at stake. You know the problem with the world today? A lack of God's glory. And you and I are the means of glorifying God on this earth. So here's your three questions. I want you to talk about the ways in which you and I can bring glory to God by the way we imitate Christ. What are some practical things you and I can do that would bring glory to God, even today? How might we be guilty of making our sanctification all about us and not about God? Why would we be prone to put ourselves at the center of this great doctrine? And what I mean by that, guys, is when you make it all about you, how holy I am, how righteous I am, how, much, how spiritual I am, and here's the things to prove it, suddenly it's become about your glory and not about God's. Finally, take a second to look at Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It's that list we just looked at. What would it look like to put on those things, and what do they have to do with putting on Christ? His nature, his character for God's glory. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sanctification. Thank you for the fact that we as fallen human beings have been made right with you so that we can bring glory to you with our lives. I know I don't do it perfectly, Father, but I know I have the capacity to do it more. 
because of your Holy Spirit living within me, the word of God to guide me and the body of Christ to encourage me. Father, may we encourage one another around the tables today to bring glory to you with our lives, no matter what comes our way. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.